This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's just deep. I mean, it's just deep. Like, if you put it at the top of your butt, uh, it just it, it makes you crumple over. Like, you can't take it. It's, it's, too, it's too much. Years almost over. Where has it gone? Where have you gone? I feel like I have been running through my life. And those letters that you sent just beg for arguments. But please just let me have this Christmas I guess this has been our most productive year ever. Good Lord. I is mean, that possible to say? This is a new Emory song. It sounds like your voice is ripping the sheet metal off a building. Yeah, all we needed was a horrific tragedy of a pandemic. And man, it got our butts in gear. <laughs> We've done something like 50 songs this year, uh, I think. And it's been kind of crazy. More than that, just people had not heard them all. But I mean, it's just insane. I can't believe it, how much music... We produced this year. It's, it's insane. Yeah, this is yet another song. This is from Emory Saves Christmas. It's a little EP we did uh, just up to the last minute till the right the very end of the year. Just got the master right now. And it uh, mastered by Taylor Von Jones, by the way. If you need a mastering guy, hit me up. I'll connect you. Um, not mastered by that robot. But the this one is Emory Land only. So this is uh, we may release this next year widely on Spotify. We start to bank up a bunch of Christmas songs that Emory Land has that the public doesn't. So maybe next year we'll press it on vinyl or do some more. But this song turned out really, really great. It's got like a it's just aggressive, aggressive Christmas song. Wow, so good work on that one. Yeah, uh, we probably need to take a pause. Are you sure it's Emory Land only? I thought we did merch and everything for everybody, and Emory saves Christmas, and that's not this. Um, it's Emeryland only. It is for sure. Okay. I mean, it's but you. I thought Devin made Emory saves Christmas merch, and they were supposed to get the tea with it. That's the Emeryland people. It's not the merch for sale. is just. Oh, because we give them a poster and stuff. You know, like this is EP. You know, just what we did for Emeryland. All right. Well, we, I guess we could leave this in. Screw yeah. everybody else. <laughs> no, that's how, I mean, that's what I'm saying. We may release it. This is for That's Emory amazing. Land. I didn't that, even know that. That's really cool. I'm very happy about that, actually. So only Emerylanders get this. Yeah, we let, let people hear it and stuff like that from time to time. But Emeryland's yeah. got a bunch of IP that we've made that is just unreleased. We've we still made the album last year, and we'll still have a new album that we're going to get to right away in next nice. year because we're in this habit of cranking out songs like one a week full production super focused kind of thing so we feel like we're going to be able to tackle our next album in a really good focused burst and be able to share a lot of that process so we're looking forward to doing that but we just practice by doing music all the time and yeah. putting out different things for emory land now everybody who comes to emory special which is in january 
gets a trial membership or membership to Emeryland, depending on what if you buy a bundle or not. But everybody that's coming to our online shows in January gets all this music now. So you can just go right now to emerymusic.com and just buy a ticket for our specials. We're playing I'm Only a Man. We have a live streaming event for Only a Man on January 9th and the week's end on January 27th, the 17th anniversary of its release. That's a Wednesday night. But to buy tickets to them and you get all this Christmas music and the Palmetto Christmas EP and all the stuff that's in Emeryland that's not yet released. So I'm not trying to go on a long, long commercial about that. But now that this point of the year is kind of a little bit of reflecting, so I'm just thinking about this whole year, where we're at. And, you know, next year we're going to add live events back to all this. So the fact we're going to keep all this digital stuff rolling and streaming and sharing and putting out content and making songs all the time and we're going to be able to add events back so feeling pretty good speaking of writing all those songs so when we did uh, a lot of you listeners out there know we did do this thing called the bc69 health challenge and uh i kicked some ass in my little small group i won uh, and i've been trying to decide what i'm gonna spend my money on a bit okay so you kind of won me over on getting the apple airpod pros Mm-hmm. I, I can't wait to think about that so i won 200 bucks i was like well i can just get that straight up right but I've been thinking, would it be fun if I got those, uh, what are those goggles that you can wear? Virtual reality goggles. I, don't, I mean, I don't do that VR stuff yet. You know, I'm holding on. You, so, so you I say stay. I should wait on that? Because I was thinking with the kids, it'd be fun. We got a we got a TV when we moved. It's kind of big. Oh, well, I guess you don't need the TV. Well, <laughs> no, but no, you need the TV because you can attach it to the TV and people can see what you're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be fun because I'm kind of making a little game room, get away from us kids room in our basement. Okay, so I was well, that'd be kind of fun. I'll help you make a decision here on, you know, you could go either way here, VR or AirPods Pro. Now, one of them is just pure utility, enjoyment, and yeah. luxury for your own damn for self. For me. Yeah, it's a it's an upgrade for to that. your own ears. It's a it, you know what I'm saying? It's enhancement to uh-huh. your cybernetic self is now what those AirPods Pro are. So to me, I'm always going for the cybernetic, uh, you know, yeah. transhumanist gift for myself. If I can go I heard there, that. that's where I'm going to go. Yeah. But on the other hand, the VR thing is, a whole, is, is, you know, that's more about inspiration and exposure to and new things in that collective right. way with your family. So, yeah. Interesting. Like you're going to expose them early to things that, right. that will eventually be common. So it's kind of, you know, depends on if you want to invest in yourself or into your children. Now, I don't know if you ever heard this phrase or not, but I think you're always supposed to invest in yourself, right? Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Don't they always tell you invest in yourself? Yeah. Don't you okay. don't you well, put the oxygen on your mask, on that, your mask, oxygen mask first before you helping others? I think. Now, okay, but here's the thing. One of the reasons why I want to get the VR goggles is. It sounds I did I do care about my family and stuff, but you can do the like go to NBA games or sit courtside with it, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so I like, that's for that you would too. be okay. wouldn't that be yeah. so fun if I got to do that? Like if I got it, then that would probably and I was like, Hey, this is awesome. I think it would convince you and Devin maybe to get it too, and then we would all go to like a Lakers game together yeah. or something. Well, right? it's not wouldn't that far be fun? off before this does I just don't want to get into that technology because it's just gonna multi I mean, it's gonna become so much better. I'm just staying out until it's, there, there'll be a time to jump in, but I just don't want to do the early adopter thing on that whole set of technology. I'm just going to wait till the slightly early. I guess I'm getting to the point where I understand what you're saying, but I feel like if I wait, I'll probably just die. <laughs> like I'm <laughs> at that age out. now. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, he waited. Yeah. To, you know, I mean, I'm not guaranteed much longer. 
I mean, I'm I'm on the. I told this to Jess That's the other true. night. Her and I are on the back nine. Oh, definitely on the back nine. We are on the back nine. I mean, yeah. there's a there's a probably a, a decent chance that I can make it to 80 years old. But what kind of brain am I going to have then, or, or anything? I mean, I can't hardly remember anything now. I mean, add 40 years to me. Good God, there's not going to be much there. So I'm thinking whatever I got now, just think of it as I'll yeah get VR now. It might be outdated in two years, but at least I got something. Because otherwise, I, I'm just wondering if I'm going to miss out. Well, you you might need to just get in there to just prep yourself because what if it comes fast and you got no experience and you just can't you you don't want to be that guy that's fifty years old and just gets vertigo immediately and can't go into the future with everybody else. So you might need a little exposure right now for yourself. That's what I'm saying. You see my glasses, <laughs> my eyesight ain't that good. You'd be VR incompatible at fifty, so you might want to just on ramp it now. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I want. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to enjoy it at fifty. I mean, my heart will beat too fast. Or so. you're right. The vertigo. <laughs> for sure yeah you better just I'll start fall now. straight over we got one of those damn uh compression massage guns mm-hmm. and if i put it to my neck and stand up i fall over like it is that it gets you deep i mean those if things you are popular it, what's the what's the trick on them that makes them so i mean it must be something real too it's it, just it deep be. i mean it's just deep like if you put it at the top of your butt uh it just it, it makes you crumple over like you can't take it it's just too it's yeah. too much like it's just it's so strong, but I'm telling you, I I put it on my neck and my back, and it is amazing. It's the best massager I've ever had in my life. I never uh, thought you'd see a massager sweep the nation that you couldn't masturbate with. That you masturbate this thing, I'm gonna knock your dick off. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, well, wait a minute, that can't be. I thought when people buy massagers, it's at least half to masturbate with. So it has to be I, right. Th- yeah, that's why it's like that. You know that that adds a lot to the vibrator massager that's true. sales so this one there's no attachment there's another way you can get off with it oh there's attachments but it must really that's what i'm saying it must really work what a great segue into marriage supply we sell the perfect <laughs> vibrators they will not knock your dick off or your clitoris off we sell the exact right vibrators that just bring you pleasure not pain just so everybody at marriage but uh i don't even know the name of the vr goggles do you know i, I don't know the name of it no. What, I mean, what is it I called? I, do, I mean, there's different ones. I'm look Oculus or whatever. Oculus, that's it. That's probably the one to get. But, I mean, I don't know. Let me look it up here. It'll come I up here in a second. I've put them all before. But, I mean, I like them. They're, they're great experiences. But, you know, at some point, it'll be like Apple will make it, and it'll be like those AirPods the where, where the time you, you get it, you open it up, and you put them on, and it already pairs, and you forgot what world you were in for an hour and a half the first time. That'll right. be what it'll be like when it's really ready. And you'll it's just so, go. They're like, hey, put these on. And you're like, what is that? And then I come back an hour and a half. I've been in some other place with you and Devin doing a, playing golf. Man, or that's something. my I, dream. And I put, you know, that's the experience I'm looking for. But clearly stuff like podcasting you know, is going to close that gap pretty quick. I think that the conferencing uh, and stuff has uh, – you know, the, the, I tell you what. Let me float a conspiracy theory to you. You want one? Okay. You got time sure. for one? This one's short. I think I do. Okay, this one's short and as true as you could ever believe. This okay. is a real conspiracy theory from you. Yeah, I'll just go ahead and who jump says to he it hates and say conspiracy I'm a believer. Theories. Yeah, I made this one up, but I believe it. So, you know how they've been saying the pandemic sped things up 10 years? Yeah, oh, I, that's all they say. Right. But, I mean, that's that's true, you know. Like, you can tell by this. Yep. That's what I'm saying about the VR and the conferencing. And people yep. say, oh, you'll be having to shake hands forever. It's like handshakes. You know, we really did. And all these things from the music business to streaming to all that stuff, definitely 10 years. So they say the pandemic sped, it, sped us up 10 years. I say it literally did. 
is 2030 right now. <laughs> we time warped to 2030. <laughs> That's the new symptom you came up with. COVID. They it's come up with a million symptoms. You got no taste buds. You know, also time warped. The year, and so the, so this conspiracy theory, as for people, it's like it was to speed us into the whatever. But we actually hit some kind of time warp, and they use covid and all that to explain it so once the people that adopt this and understand that you know there got to be people that are against technology or whatever so it'll split right. politically of course so i don't know if it's right wingers will say whatever but one side or the other that adopts this like the QAnon people or whatever you'll the, the mark of it is they'll actually use the year they'll just write the year wrong and live in a separate reality where it is in fact that year to that to all the people that subscribe to the conspiracy theory They'll get to actually sign their, you know, oh, it's one of those fucking deniers or whatever. They're, they're living in a different year in their world. That's mm. how they'll, they'll do it. So the pandemic has collapsed. We, all, we lost the whole decade of 2020s. Right? I, You're I, living in 2030. That's what happened. That's why it's so weird and disorienting. I literally have no idea what this conspiracy theory is. I don't know what you're even talking about. I'm saying we went through a time warp. It is 2030 now. <laughs> what does that mean? That's it why it's so screwy. But why, so why would 2030 be so screwy? Well, you know, just, it's all crazy now. Everybody says all, <laughs> the world's so crazy. It's because it's 2030. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Doesn't time feel weird this whole year? I mean, it was like, oh, that's weird. You had to stay in your house and well, it, did, know, it we does feel weird the wormhole. That it, yeah, it does feel weird that it's just over. Like it just uh, as much as you had to stay home and do it, it, it felt like in lots of ways it went fast. Yeah, I don't know. I, know. It, it, I mean, it doesn't feel like this was a slow year, even though everything on no, earth it was a slowed quick down. Ten years. I guess when you live in total fear, it just time flies. <laughs> 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 like when there's nonstop fear of your death. My God. Oh, well, I'll tell we, you we what. hit our 500th episode and beyond, and um, you know we've been we've just. That just I don't know. You said in the BC Club, but what are some of your favorite episodes this year? Um, I love the Jamar Tisby one. Um, that was a great one. Um, what was it? man? You always ask me at the wrong times, like when I can't have my phone looking at the answers. I said um, the Robin Hanson one. You said Robin Hanson. That was one of the earliest ones this year. If you remember, you liked, that was uh, yeah pre-corona that was when you were saying this will be gone in two weeks and whatever then robin hansen came on and we were dying laughing at some of the stuff he said what happened and some of it did some of the stuff yeah. he said wasn't right at all it's just you know but that I was mean, all earlier this year talking about how society would it, change on that you know in february we got to have him back because there is zero chance uh a large amount of americans would say intentionally because one of his ideas was intentionally infect, infect people so that they have hospital beds and are but people would think that is the most horrific thing you could ever do right now today they did they would have before but it may be even more now they would say you are risking so many people's lives now he would say the you know only choose people between 20 and 35 years old or something uh, you know but no matter what that plan would kill at least one person <laughs> yeah, right? variolation. Yeah, I don't know if he still holds that as a good idea or not, but he was at the time. That's what he was thinking to flatten. He was talking about gyms being filled with hospital beds, like gymnasiums and overrun stuff, and that was when we didn't even understand that it was going to be a big deal at that time. So um, it'd be great to check back in with him next year. Uh, we did the 500th episode with Lunsford and Devin and McDonald. That was great, yep. Yeah, uh, Tim McTeague, that was a good one. That helped us. Uh, ignite a flame under our ass to do our Emory specials 
And so uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm looking at the other ones. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to look at some of these that are very funny. Uh, I'm not going to say some of them. Because, you know, I mean, some of them really good. Some of them. The guests, <laughs> maybe say I did bad one. Say a bad maybe one. I, oh, I'm not the one that I <laughs> the one that I saw. I was like, I cannot say that I didn't like this guest. I cannot because I know them. I'll give that hint. Uh, I really liked the Buddy Nielsen one from Census Fail because we've mm-hmm. toured with him a bunch uh, or played shows around their band. Has played around our band. Blah blah blah. We never went on tour, but uh, Warp Tour and all that stuff. And he was actually really great. So I thought that one was really good. Uh, what about old uh, John Steingard from Hawk Nelson not believing in God anymore? Yeah, and all, all that, all that crazy stuff. Um, I'm looking. I'm just scrolling through here. Uh, the data science was good with Tom Siepel. Uh, yeah, uh, you you know him, right? You brought him on. Agnes Callard was a really good one. Uh, oh, I I can't believe I didn't say this one on the BC Club episode. Uh, Scott Galloway. That he is my favorite by far. Yeah. No matter what, he's maybe one of my favorite humans. Like I, I listen to his podcast, Pivot Podcast, all the time, and I just love him. I just love his takes. I love the way he is. Everything about he just. I so mean, Prof he, G. Yeah, Prof G. I mean, he yeah. is just. I, I just love it. I mean, every everything about him talking about stocks and politics and money and companies, Facebook. I mean, the big I four. I picked up stock tips right after we had him on. I followed the next week. He gave a couple stock tips that I got right on and, and was right. He was right. Peloton wow. was one of them. Uh, back in January, the title of the episode, episode 492, was called U-Shaped Sex Toys. Do you remember what that oh, yeah. was about? No, I don't. Not at that all. was about when uh, I got... For marriage supply, vibrating uh, butt plug, I guess, anal plug. Is that what it's called? Prostate. Prostate Pro is what the the sex toy is called. And uh, I ordered it. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get this and just try it out because we didn't have anything like that on marriage supply for sale. And then when I ordered it, uh, they came in, and they were bigger than I thought. And it was very very intimidating. (laughs) It was very intimidating, and I have never used it once because I was too too nervous. I thought, man, maybe I'll, episode, maybe I'll try this. You did a whole episode about that? That's the I title th- of it? I think so. Yeah, it's called U-shaped <laughs> sex toys. All right. Because <laughs> it is a All U. Right. It's a shape of a U because the outside hits, I guess, your prostate, and the inside, well, I guess both sides hit your prostate. It forms a U around your, it goes insert inside you and behind your, on the taint or the taint My this, goodness. taint that, My which I learned from you. So well, it's been a busy year. All the music, everything. I think we've got had a pretty good one. I'm looking forward to next one. I mean, I don't know if I feel like we've completed the deconstruction journey or something, but something about we've done all there is to do in, yeah, in that, that realm. There's gonna be so some I'm new, in more yeah. of a constructivist type mood for going forward here, and I Hell think we yeah. spent a lot of this year just doing a bunch of different things, talking to new people, and seeing what fits. So we don't have a we don't have any episodes recorded or booked for next year. We're gonna cruise through this hot, uh, this Christmas break. Hope everybody has a good one. We're going to put out episode next week, which will be a podcast we did with Chad Johnson and his crew and that, that we did together collaboratively that we'll put in the feed, I think, for next Wednesday yep. over Christmas, and then we'll see what happens, see what happens next year after that. So, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, and that's the key word. You know how people get their word for the next year? They say, what is the word for next year? Well, ours, how do they get it? It's just it come, You go, I'm getting a word? Did I don't you have know. A- it always feels weird. It always is like, it's a little too much. Like, why is I mean, it, you it, receive it, prophecy. Do you not? <laughs> Me, personally? Have you not received prophecy? 
Uh, years ago. I don't know. <laughs> don't words and images and things just come to you? Uh, they have. Yes, they have. But that's what I was getting ready to say. But everybody else is, I don't You're ever believe You're prophecy prone. Admit it. Maybe. I, I'm not a prophet. I, I Don't put that on me. I ain't no prophet. But the word this year, for sure, is fun. This year was so fucking heavy, and everybody hated each other. <laughs> Not only was there a pandemic, <laughs> yeah. there's a mental pandemic, pa- too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a physical and mental and emotional and spiritual pandemic. I mean, it was like all kinds of pandemics hit this year, mm-hmm. and it was just devastating to everybody. I mean, it was just the heaviest. It felt so heavy and inescapable. And so for the Bad Christian Podcast, it is going to be fun next year. We're going to have more fun. The guests have been great. Uh, almost 100%. There, obviously, there's some guests that you have on and you don't sometimes uh, end up thinking the same way or whatever, but I'm just excited that this next year I'm intentionally going to make our podcast very, very fun. And I just I want to cut up. I want to have a good time. I want to talk about things I want to talk about, but I want us to be uh, ha- hanging out again. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like have, having being friends and it's cutting been too up long. and yeah, shitting on each other and <laughs> fucking shit up and going lighting uh, porta potties on fire and I don't know, you know the shit we used to do on tour. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we I'm ready do to do the, again. Yeah. Good lord! After this year, can I fuck some shit up a little bit? Destroy some coke machines or knock over some something, maybe a yeah. mailbox or two. Set something on fire. Throw yeah. a golf ball at some. Good lord! Right. Right. Run back over a stop sign or something. You know? I, I feel like every day uh, this year I risk my life. Shot, right? I gotta I gotta do something. Yeah, throw some shit at uh, somebody. <laughs> Good Lord. Can't we do that again, America? <laughs> you got to find people you don't like. At least do donuts in their yard instead of tweet Of course. My on. God. Can't do donuts in somebody's front yard and tear up their grass a little bit <laughs> after a pandemic? What are they going to do? <laughs> so, yeah. and you're getting your $600 uh, from the government, so mm-hmm. you ain't going to do you much good. Might as well go and join the BC Club with it, too. Yep. Might as well do that while you're at We well, you ain't going to charge you $600 the whole year. Well, let's tell you what to listen to for the, your Christmas and the week after Christmas all the way up to New Year's. You can jam this. But, of course, Tooth & Nail. We're listening to some music mm-hmm. right now. Tooth & Nail, they're whole, all four of their labels, Tooth & Nail, Solid State, BEC, and Gospel Song Records. They all have tons of stuff on sale all month long. Uh, Hangnail has a Christmas four-song Christmas EP. It's their first music in 17 years, and it's terrific. All the CDs are $5.00. Uh, select vinyls ten dollars and tons of shirts are on sale for like six dollars and that's on all four stores so you can head over and pick up new vinyl from bands like fit for a king acceptance tyson motzenbacher mike mains and the branches and tiger wine quite a roster tooth and nails got going uh we also have a bunch of the best records i'm sorry i'm misreading that They've also got a bunch of the best records in the label's history on vinyl for sale. That includes Pedro the Lion's Holy P and As Cities Burn, Come Now Sleep, which is my wife's favorite, and she even has a tattoo of a lyric from it. Um, so just just so you know, I come for real with that. I, maybe I should have got her that vinyl for Christmas because I don't know if I even got her anything. I'm going to run out still before <laughs> i got a little bit of time left now that I see that. Um, by the way, uh, what we're listening to right now is, in fact, Oh Come All You Faithful. And this is Hangnail from their EP. It just came out uh, recently, obviously, for Christmas, but it's put on your playlist for next year, too. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, everywhere you go. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody, from Tooth & Nail Records. Father, now in flesh appearing, oh, come let us 
us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. All right, uh, we got some two great guests coming up. Um, they just wrote a book called Hardwired Our how our instincts to be healthy are making us sick. And that just sounded so fat and fascinating to Matt and I that we're going to bring them on. So we're going to have uh, Dr. Robert Barrett and Louis Francescutti. So let's do it. When we talk about hardwired, though, right off the bat, um, we're, you know, conjuring the, the parallel language of software. Is that nature and nurture? Like where are we even at on the ground level of what hardwired means in, in relation to what you guys are talking about? Oh, man, it's almost as if you walked into that one, because uh, <laughs> after we finished writing the book, Rob and I were looking at each other, and it, uh, we had one of those eureka moments where we're concluding that humans are running on outdated software for the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I mean, for hundreds of millions of years, our software was revolving around finding water, you know, finding a morsel of food, and finding a mate so you could keep the human species alive. And dopamine rewarded you um, in various amounts. Uh, having sex and uh, having kids uh, was the greatest dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. And then after that, for water and food. So Rob and I looked at each other and said, hey, could it be that humans are just running on outdated software? And some people have been able to figure out their own patches and make mm-hmm. things work. But what I think COVID's revealed is that unless you've developed those coping skills, then you know the next pandemic is going to go after the uh, have-nots, unfortunately. Yeah, the, uh, I, well, yeah, go ahead. I just, I find it very fascinating, just the just the analogies in the recent, really this decade, obviously, of analogies of, of the brain to computers, because it's both been more brain research and understanding, but there's also been the layperson's familiarity with computers that make all these analogies now so, so ripe to, to discuss, like people thinking of their, uh, their minds or uh, their brains as software is not, not something I don't think when I would try to speak in those terms 15 years ago, people didn't like to, that they were less, uh, you know, v- uh, ready for those concepts. Yeah, that's right. true. We, uh, you, you know, we talk about nature and nurture and, uh, you know, th- th- that's a concept or a phrase, I suppose that, uh, w- we banter around. We kind of know that one nature and nurture, uh, you know, in our book is we looked at, you know, both of those aspects really, but the hardwired, uh, in the title, it does lean most certainly towards the, the, uh, the nature side that we are, we inherit these particular drives, these survival mechanisms that, that stick with us. And, you know, they, they propel us to make decisions, you know, that we don't necessarily realize, uh, that we're doing. And, and that's part of, of the, the friction point between how fast our world is changing and and essentially these these long you know evolved drives that uh, that hang out with us forever and you know we can either believe that well you, you can one side of the argument is that you are born a blank slate and that you know the tabula rasa that the that culture and our environment fills in all the all the blank spots and makes you who you are and the other one is the sort of the evolutionary side which you you inherit everything we do have a couple of examples in the book that show uh, a bit of both of those at play. And uh, one of them is is with children. And so, you know, children, uh, as we all do, develop our brains and bodies in a certain way. But if we don't respect that, uh, that hardwiring, then that's when things go awry. And that's really, I think, part of the message of the book as well, is that, is that we're not, not really getting it. We're not really respecting that hardwiring anymore. And mm-hmm. because of that, uh, that's, that's leading to problems. 
is it that we used to respect the hardwiring more, or is it there a fundamental denial on the level of like, uh, you know, there's a resistance to it? Like, well, we're not animals. I decide. Like, my, people tend to over uh, exaggerate their sense of agency, and they like to say we're different than the animals in such a way that makes it hard. It makes people willing to, <laughs> you know, ignore the hardwired nature of some of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we are, you know, obviously biologically we're animals, uh, we're mammals and, uh, and we do come with that, uh, that, that DNA that instructs us on, on how to behave and act. And I think we do have to realize that now the human side of us, uh, there are differences, of course, you know, that we, we have these large brains that, you know, that, that, you know, suck up 25, 30% of our energy just to, for us to, to walk around and, and, and think, and the part of the brain that is really human, which is really unique, is that that prefrontal cortex part that's kind of right behind your forehead that allows us to have all that planning and decision making and rationality and judgment that maybe is not as much shared by other you know species in the animal kingdom. So that that does separate us out a little bit, but but biologically, fundamentally, we are and we, you, know, you know we're animals, and we we have all those same survival drives. And what's interesting is when you put that in the context of the social world that we live in, particularly some of the rapid changes that we're seeing with social media and everything else. Now that's, that's like all those drives on steroids. Now, now, now we're seeing some really interesting social effects of that. And then that's translating into our health. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to follow you guys here. So when you're saying we're doing things now that we don't even realize and our hardwired brain aren't, aren't we still looking for food and water and sex and stuff? Like what, what's, what's causing the issues now we're looking at it in a different way or those things aren't the same need. What, what do you guys mean by that? Well, if, if, if you get a dopamine hit, when you find a morsel of food, just walk into a grocery store nowadays, uh, there's more than a morsel of food. So in other yeah, words, when you have an overabundance, um, we didn't talk about it in the book, but you can sort of imagine the rise of pornography uh, as part of that sex drive thing. It's like, you know, nobody talks about it, but yet we know the, you know, the pornographic industry exceeds all legitimate print media and social media combined. Yeah. So there's a driver there. And uh, the other one is that we live in times where things are so rapidly evolving, as Robert mentioned, um, you can create an artificial portrayal of who you are to the world and you can't live up to that expectation, except then you're not meeting your own expectations. So in other words, um, we're hardwired to be social creatures because we have to be to survive. And so status within the social group, acceptance by the social group was very important. And that's why everybody wants to get a like or a hit and as Rob yeah. mentions, uh, you know, every time, actually, anytime your phone rings, you get a, a hit of dopamine. It's a reward because you're important. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody needs you. Somebody wants to connect with you. But the trouble with that is that you can create an artificial world that you can't live up to. And so, when the reality hits in that you're not who you're pretending to be, I think there's a direct correlation with that and the 35% uh, rise in suicide rates amongst our adolescents in the U.S. Uh, World Health Organization predicted correctly by 2020, depression is going to be the leading cause of disability. And the list just goes on and on wow. and on. That's very fascinating to think about. I mean, I think there's unlimited amount you could pull out of that porno porno pornography analogy. It's almost not an analogy because it's like, 
pornography grabs your attention. That's why it's the biggest industry. It because you can't ignore it. If you saw it on your computer screen right now, you'd look at it instead of me. You wouldn't be able to help it. And so it's like that whole industry's always not been me, taboo. man. I'm a Christian. Not you, not you, but to everybody else. <laughs> but um, you have to like. Can you? But all that pornography industry has always been hidden and taboo and all that. But the Facebook and the other stuff on social media is out in the public, but it'd be similar. And, and it taps into the primal stuff too, the, 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 the outrage and also the social reputation, but it's weird that it's the next biggest industry, right? It's just like right. the next, there's porn in that. And that's what, that's what we're going to engage in. If it's there, if you had something like Facebook and, and it did pornography, let's just say you had to look at pornography 15 times a day. Would it alter your day? Like yeah. if, if you just simply were served pornography 15 times a day for 30 seconds, it'd probably alter your day. Well, right? you know, and I think wow. and Rob can correct me, but I, I think that's all driven by, let's say you, you find some water, you get this dopamine. You know, you mm-hmm. find some food, you get this dopamine. You have an orgasm, you get this dopamine. Right. So uh, mm-hmm. it's just inherently in us. That's mm-hmm. why we survived. I mean, if nobody had sex, we we would die as a human species within you know a hundred years. Yeah, even if they yeah. just had a little less sex, we might not be here. That's right. And so yeah, yeah. I, it's unfortunate that it's called pornography because then it, uh, it has all these connotations of dirty and filthy and the rest of it. But I mean, if if that's the way nature rewarded you to survive, you know, I've always wondered why pornography was such a powerful industry. Well, I think it makes sense if you think about this way. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just a, uh, you know, it's interesting. I guess there's, you know, Louis really good at the, the, the clinical side. So you get that dopamine hit, there's oxytocin as well. That's the, you know, the cuddle hormone that, uh, that we get a hit from as well. So these are feel good things. So, you know, if it's all feel good, then, then what's the downside? And, and that, that's another thing that we talk about in, in the book as well. And, you know, the other side of that, you know, aside from the, you know, what's happening in your brain, the neurotransmitters, the hormones is the social side. And I think that's, that's part of the, what makes the book really interesting is that we, we overlay the social on top of the, the clinical, which is the biological, the medical side. And when you have things like social media and yeah, it could be pornography, it could be other forms of stimulation online. Um, the social media aspect for sure, the use of our cell phones, there's a social element there. And as Louis mentioned too, we are, we are social creatures. We want to be part of groups. We we've evolved to maintain our, uh, some sort of status within groups so that we are not uh, relegated uh, to, you know, an outsider. It's very, very important for survival that we are valued within the group. So we constantly have to uh, maintain this status, this status in the gr- in our lives and in the group. And so we're constantly evaluating that on social media as well. It doesn't necessarily bring out the best in us when we're constantly comparing ourselves and, right. and competing with others, you know, for likes and everything else. And so now you have, a, you know, this, this weird thing where 95% of us are looking at our phones before, before bedtime. Um, you've got uh, about 90% of people, uh, in the, especially adolescents, who, you know, sleep, literally sleep with their phones at, their, at an arm's length. Uh, we've got a, you know, this this fear of losing our phones. Uh, one in four kids will wake up, adolescents wake up in the middle of the night to check social media because their brains are waking them up. Because there's nothing that is more powerful than peer than peer um, acceptance and peer, uh, yeah, peer acceptance with for for an adolescent. That's the most powerful driver of uh, of of their social world. So. That's, you know, those, those are really, really important uh, changes that we've seen in the last generation. And that's, I think, the question that we know was asked earlier is, you know, hasn't it always been this way? 
Yes, it has biologically, but now we're laying on top of this rapid social change, which we're now we're seeing the detrimental effects of. Yeah, oh, one just, of the, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, um, so I'm dating myself, but I'm 66. So when I was growing up, you went and bought a bag of chips and you you had three choices. It was plain, you know, with uh, ketchup flavoring or barbecue. You know what I mean? So life, even within my lifetime, was so much simpler than it is today. Yeah. Today, it's like choice everywhere. You're bombarded everywhere with choice, choice, choice. It's like it's it's just too much. And the brain is like going, you know, slow down. Right. Right. I feel that way. Like I that I always get made fun of when I go back in the day before COVID, we go to the mall. And if I went to the food court, I couldn't decide. Because yeah. I, I and it's so weird. It's, it seems like nothing. It seems like it should be nothing. What meal you're going to have for lunch? Because you know there's other meals coming. All this stuff, but I I felt like I had to make the right decision. And in the same way as we we travel a lot with our band, I can remember being in the uh, airports and I would look at everybody and they're on their phones, looking like they have they're doing something or they're being needed. And I look down at mine, I'm just looking at like Yahoo, Lindsay Lohan on Yahoo or something like that. And I always felt like less. I was like, oh, I, I wish I had that email that I had to respond to, or that, <laughs> or you're right, some or that phone call or something like that. And it really does feel that way. And it, it feels like, uh, I mean, in some ways, I don't know if this is what y'all are getting at, but that, like, we're addicted to dopamine. It, our bodies cre- will create it for us, and we're addicted to it, right? Yeah, dopamine is, yeah, dopamine is like a neurotransmitter. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the, uh, the, the, the thing that motivates you to do something. So, uh, for example, if you're a coffee drinker, you know, the, it's, that, it's that motivating drive that you feel that's like, oh, I crave that thing. And that, yeah. that's the neurotransmitter dopamine it's coursing through you, uh, through your brain. It's the, it's the reward center of your brain. Then you get a hit from it. Um, you know, some interesting things that we talk about in the book too, is that you need more and more of that thing that stimulates you to get the same effect. So it's called a hypofunctioning reward system. So there was a very cool study where they took, um, in the study, they had women that uh, they brought in, they did a, a functional MRI, which is like an MRI that sees your brain, you know, in, working away. And they all drank this amazing milkshake and they saw the reward center of the brain light up. And then they invite them back six months later. And they look at the, some of the BMI differences, like the, you know, whether they might have gained or lost weight. And the ones that had, had gained more weight, um, they drank the exact same milkshake. They got less of a response in terms of the reward center of the brain than, than the ones that hadn't gained weight. That means that, I mean, as the scientists suggest, what that means is that they're not getting as much of an effect from that same dosage, essentially. Now they need more of it. Uh, to get that same effect. And so, you know, we see that obviously in addiction, we see that in other areas as well, yeah. but we need more and more of that same thing. So whether that is sugar, salt, fat in your diet, whether it's social media, what have you, the, these things are changing and they're being, you know, uh, laid upon us in ways that we've never experienced before. And now we're becoming, you know, very, very caught up in all of this. So, you know, you can relate this to the opioid crisis that um, you're facing in the States and we're facing in Canada. I mean, more people die from opioid deaths than motor vehicle collisions. And what's happened is that's contributing to the uh, reduction of longevity uh, for Americans. And uh, this whole crystal meth opioid uh, crisis that we're in, what ends up happening is that uh, you do crystal meth and you get a hit that's a little stronger than dopamine. And then when you do it again, you're sort of displacing the natural dopamine effect and then you need more crystal meth. And then before you know it, you, you can't get off the stuff because 
you have to, as Rob said, keep using more and more and more and more often to reach a state of equilibrium. You're not even getting high anymore. You're just trying to survive because now right. what you've created is your own artificial reward system, um, you know, with these drugs. And that's why it's so hard to treat a lot of this uh, substance misuse. Mm-hmm. So that's really then, terrifying. But then, but then you have to ask yourself, why are people using them in the first place? Right. And so then you, you usually just have to ask six questions to find out why people are in uh, the state they're in. And it all boils down to the social determinants of health. Um, adverse childhood events. What kind of a childhood did they have? Did they experience adverse childhood events? Uh, that's abuse, neglect, uh, lack of attention. And then on top of that, if they haven't had a chance to get a good education, you don't get an education, you can't get a job. Can't get a job, you can't get money. You can't get money, it's hard to find a mate. Hard to find a mate, you can't form that strong social cohesion um, that you're you know, looking for. And then you, you fall into um, bad habits because then you don't have enough money. But you want to feel good like everyone else. So usually you start smoking. Smoking is a cheap way to feel a little better. Um, you live in a poor neighborhood that doesn't have access to good food. So you eat crappy food, fast food. Um, you got a crappy job. And because your job's so crappy, you usually have to have two or three jobs. That puts stress on your relationship. If your partner gets pregnant and you're abusive to her, then the cortisol that's generated in her body will attack her own fetus and change the DNA within the fetus. So then you're born with a baby that's behind the eight ball. And once you pass that down two or three generations, you end up with people that look like they can't get out of the rut they're in and and you wonder why. Well, it's because you gotta stop and ask a couple of questions and find out everything about them from the time they were born and when they were um, conceived. Mm-hmm. So, wow. did you was that all six questions just there, or can you ask, tell me what those six questions are? Oh, okay, so I'm working in emergency, and I I see a kid come in, and the kid's got a big laceration on the shin. So, mm-hmm. first question: Where did that happen? Uh, in the lot next to my apartment, it was an abandoned car. Okay, uh, why do you guys live there? Because that's all mom and dad can afford. Why is that all mom and dad can afford? Well, a dad just got out of jail. Mom doesn't have any education. How come they don't have education? Because they grew up in a very poor household. Why did they grow up in a poor? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You just right. work your way back. And so anytime I see anyone in emergency with an injury or problems that I can't figure out, I start my six questions. And I usually find out quite quickly a little bit about their background. You right. know, in, in less than two, three minutes, as an eMERGE physician, I can I can pretty well do a, a forensic autopsy of their upbringing and find well, where the weaknesses were. Well, that I find that fascinating. Among other things, though, that that's um, you know I noticed some really strong taboo around the issue of clearly the biggest problem in society is child neglect and abuse. Like clearly, it's the only one that seems to be the one worth working on and fixing, in my opinion. It seems like because. If you look at the open, you know, it just, how is it not early childhood that is important for every societal problem if you go that way with it? Yeah, it's true. There's that, uh, there's that so-called life course model, which, which, uh, you know, says that what happens to you uh, at a very young age then has that downline impact uh, later in life. Uh, we're seeing some really, you know, disturbing trends in, in outcome. Uh, one is this uh, midlife mortality, which is which is relatively new, which it means that uh, we're seeing a lot of higher death rates uh, in midlife, 
uh, and we're, we normally wouldn't. It's actually causing a blip of downward trend in longevity uh, for the first time in about a thousand years, really. Uh, and a lot of that's behavioral. And that means, you know, it's, it's, you know, smoking, oddly enough, is still right up there, as Louis said, uh, tobacco use, uh, you know, you've got substance abuse, opioids, as Louis mentioned as well, uh, prescription medication uh, overdoses, um, having to, these are, these are coping, behavioral coping strategies that are, you know, obviously quite negative, um, that can lead to disease, uh, they can lead to, lead to things like, you know, obesity and other issues, um, but certainly the mental aspect too, the depression, the brain health problems that, that go along with it. And that, yeah, that may end up coming back uh, to what happened in childhood. In the book, we talk about childhood stress and trauma. We use some very serious examples. So those are child children that have gone through uh, war and experienced war. Children that, for example, under a certain age uh, coming out of Syria have never known a world without war. I mean, they, that's it. That's the only world they've ever known. Is is a war warlike world, so uh, you know what are the downline implications of that? And there are some serious um, research that shows that that is lifelong. The implications of that is lifelong. Now we don't all, you know, fortunately we don't all you know suffer through war, but there are other stressors that are we see emerging uh, now in terms of screen time, uh, in terms of the the way that that uh, plays out in, in the same stress areas of the brain, that amygdala part of the brain, which you know, has the fight or flight part, we can, with a childhood brain that's developing, which develops from the bottom up, essentially, with the last part uh, being, you know, in the mid 20s, that uh, prefrontal cortex, they get stuck in a fight or flight response uh, around the amygdala, and and then they become hyper emotional, hyper, there's a hyper arousal state. Um, some of this, you know, might get uh, attributed to attention deficit, uh, we're still learning about that. But uh, those are those are problems that we're seeing as well, and they yes, they can have lifelong implications. Mm-hmm. And then and then we just play it out as just an action in the current. I like in the current time right now. Uh, like I like what you guys are saying, like through the evolutionary lens of like it, through several generations. Of course, that would start affecting like everybody. You know, especially having grown up in the South, evolution was just you know monkey to man. You know that's all everybody talked about. But now. We're seeing it even more clearly. You're right. Like generation passed on the, the stress levels, uh, what our needs and wants and desires are changing and how that is probably affecting our kids. And we aren't even seeing it right now. My kids are upstairs right now uh, playing video games on the computer. And I think it's OK. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I don't want I, I think it does. I, I see it within them uh, getting stressed. Uh, some of the, I'm like, Whoa, what is happening here? They're, they're experiencing Cause a lot of the games that they play often are online. So they, there is a community as well. And they're interacting with real humans, but in this virtual way, but it's also causing real emotion, real regret, real, you know, real feelings. And I, and I, and I don't know as a parent, sometimes I'm just like, we just gotta, we're done with it. But then I go, we can't get rid of computers and games. But they told me, me playing Mario, Super Mario Brothers is going to destroy me. And I mean, I'm still here, but maybe it did. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, there's a, you're, it's, I'm a, I'm a parent as well. So you, you know, you certainly, uh, you know, employ, uh, uh, you know, online uh, television, everything else for, you know, for, you know, not sort of the babysitting, but, you know, there's that, there's that, you know, gives you a parents right. a bit of a break and that's, and that's the reality. And I'm, you know, and I, I like technology and it's, I have technology all around me um, for sure. You know, I think there's there's a couple of things. One is there's there is the you know that that sort of clinical answer, which is like, yeah, this is what the screen can do to a child's brain because if the screen is moving at a pace that is faster than what we would normally realize 
in real life, then that that rapid pace can throw them into more of a fight or flight response. And they and if that is what the programming is like for the entire time, um, then that can be a problem. We even see that in some educational programming where they almost speed up real life. Um, and to the point where the, the the child is, even though they're watching an educational program about you know farm life or something, uh, the just the way that it, the videography is and wow. the sound can can stimulate the brain in a, in a fight or flight response. So was that is that just you know is that um, it all centers around dopamine and, and attention really like the the and and interest and motivations I guess like you find yourself in a state to pay attention to the fast moving things of life or a screen or a flashing light and, or, or even fundamentally magic. It's like, uh, you're, you must be wired for novelty to, to seek it, to see something that could save, you know, the art desire to find a, you know, you see a flashing screen or something. It's, it seems like everybody's going to pay attention to it. And a proud kids point up at airplanes, the things that are unnatural in the environment might be shortcuts or like, there's something about that is hyper stimulating, and you will pay attention to it, but it comes at the cost of if it's false, you you are continually overload, getting too much uh, dopamine. You're, you're messing up your baseline tolerance of neurotransmitters. Yeah, that's a good point. It's yeah, and you do get a dopamine hit from from that. So you know, you see the the, uh, the kids that are on screens a lot, and then they're you know in a a doctor office or a doctor's waiting room and they're sitting there and they're going wild. And then the mom or dad pulls out the little screen and they look at that and they instantly calm down. And it's like, okay, you know, everybody can rest easy now because the kids right. watching the screen, but they are getting that, it, that the, the driver for that in this, and the, the satisfaction that they're getting from that is the reward center of the brain. Mm-hmm. That is the, that, that is the part of the brain that is working at that time. So maybe it's better to look at everything more like it's not you think you're addicted to sugar or heroin, but you but it's really those are tools to manage your your own dopamine tolerance in the same way that even overeating is can be looked at like having a high alcohol. Toby has to drink 12 beers now because he drank six every night or whatever. And so to get the feeling of, yeah, I did some drinking, you know, or I did some eating or some real eating. I had to eat two two whole chickens now because my to get the dopamine, not to get full, to get the dopamine I need. Yeah, the thing you got to remember is that the um, the American Academy of Pediatrics and several other pediatric groups have come out with policy statements that said that kids under the age of 18 months should not be exposed to any mm-hmm. kind of electronic gadgetry because, as Rob said, it actually rewires the circuitry of the brain. It really rewires the circuitry of the brain. And and, and, and so instead, is- replace it with cuddling, singing touching, mm-hmm. playing, just having downtime with the child, doing nothing. That's good enough for a child answering what if, how come, because, you know, that kids have. But uh, putting a kid in front of a TV to pacify them actually allows the, you know, the, the social media that you're using, it rewires the circuitry of the brain. And is that along the lines of the neurotransmitter? I mean, the rewiring you're talking about is levels of neurotransmitters or something else well, it, in captures, the it captures their attention and uh, rob can go into it in more detail but it actually has been shown to rewire the circuitry you know the new uh, axonal connections that uh, are taking place by millions you know every day of a young child's Re- life reinforcing pathways yeah. yeah it reinforces the pathways yeah. yeah we yeah our brains are meant to develop in a certain way and and it's like, a, you know, it's like a, uh, you know, a million miles of fiber optic cable that all connects in the brain and it grows, essentially develops, you know, from the base up. 
uh, so to speak. And you know, you can actually, as Louis says, you can actually rewire that in a in a way that uh, is is will cause problems lifelong. Now we know that the that the brain is is fairly plastic uh, plasticity. You know, it has that quality to it. So there was a time where we thought that you know the brain that you have developed by the time you're 20, 20 in your twenties is what you get for life. Now we do have evidence of of the ability to sort of rewire the brain. We say rewire, what we mean is that it's how the parts of the brain talk to each other and the actual structures of the brain themselves. So some actually the the actual gray matter can get can get more or less volume voluminous uh, depending on the experiences that you have as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I, I wanted to also, so you guys are talking about addictions like to sugar and salt, and you also mentioned addiction to stress. Is that, what is that? What do y'all mean by that? Well, addiction to stress is basically that we, because we have all of these environmental um, pressures that are new to us, uh, we, we end up almost getting addicted to the, the, to the reward part of our brain that, that feeds on this. And, and a lot of that is causing us stress. So I think we, we mentioned earlier on that how can something that it gives us so much reward and we are basically biologically hardwired for it be a negative for us? And, and so we, we know, though, that if you use social media excessively, that your rates of depression go up dramatically. And so, you know, why is it that something that gives us this amazing dopamine hit and, you know, oxytocin, which is the amazing cuddle hormone, why is that, you know, leading to depression? But it's not necessarily that part of the story. It also has to do with the social side of things. So social media, we talk a lot about social comparison theory. And, uh, you know, you, whether or not you, you get likes, how you, com- how you compare to others in, in groups. And that social comparison can actually make us end up making us feeling more lonely. And if you, you know, if you're, if you're lonely, um, you know, as Louis says, if you're lonely, you get, you, you can have, uh, you know, poor health outcomes. It's almost like smoking half a pack of cigarettes a day. It's um, you're two and a half times more likely to have a cardiac, uh, a negative adverse cardiac event. If you're, you know, have high rates of loneliness. Uh, So these kinds of things are very stressful. Uh, Then we looked at, with, at how stress plays into sleep and, and other things, diabetes. In the US, for example, we looked at, at different states and we said, where are the most stress, where's the highest degree of stress in, the, in uh, state by state? And uh, where is the uh, highest or lowest sleep in terms of minutes per hours per night? And you can see if you overlay those two that the highest stress is also where they're sleeping the, the least and also where they have highest levels of uh, obesity and all of the negative downline effects of obesity as well. So when we say we're addicted to stress, we really mean that we're addicted to the kind of changes that are happening. We have a difficult time getting unstuck from that, getting out, getting out of that. Is, is, um, is there some, uh, you know, correlated way that the strict, like to, if you if I was in a naturally environmentally stressful environment twenty thousand years ago, that would probably would feel I would get some dopamine and other chemicals to deal with a stressful situation. Is why that's supposed to work, basically. As in, it would, could even feel good to go to war or have to do something like there is the the people say you get endorphins from working out and stuff. There's natural ways when you're put in stressful situations where there are in fact rewards built in. Yeah. 
So you could really like that state, but then to not be able to work that out and just have it be on the mental side only, and you're stuck in and isolated, and it's not for any real purpose, mm-hmm. but you're still getting that stress, it's still maybe giving you something that you, you know, it's still maybe giving you the front end of that. Yeah. I mean, we should be clear that the fight or flight response is a, that is part of also our survival uh, mechanism. Uh-huh. So, you know, we, we talk in the book about what is a fight or flight response, like what happens in your brain and body and, and how the blood flow changes and how certain parts of your body are readied instantly to be able to run away or fight. Uh, and so that's a really, really important survival uh, mechanism we have in our toolbox. But the problem is, if is that that's really only meant to last two or three minutes, you know, kind of right. thing to, very acutely uh, to be able to get us out of a jam and get us yep. uh, to safety. If you live in that, in, in bathed in that, you know, uh, fight or flight response for very long, now you're going to have all that cortisol that Louis was mentioning. You got all that stuff that's negative, and that's going to, you know, cause some, you know, major, major uh, health problems. We see. But it does seem like we choose it, though, nonetheless. Like we, it seems like we're choosing yeah. stress in some sense. Like we, you, you know how to be like, is it true that you understand Toby that looking at Facebook is stressful and you just choose it, but you know yeah. that fact. Well, well, like that's why I had to, I deleted all my apps because I was going to Twitter and the only thing that I wanted to see the people that were shit talking me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't, yeah. that, that I got something out of it, even though it caught, and it caused stress there. I was like, Oh my gosh. Are, there, are, are people, you know, there's times where I, am I going to be canceled or is it, did I say something I shouldn't have? What did I, you know, but it, it's like, it, I wanted to go there and feel that fear or that worry or something. It was, I don't know if it's control or it was a dopamine or what, but I do feel that, yeah. that it's you a just, desire to go there. Yeah. You just, you just, and you, you know, in doing so you, you make the case for hardware. You make the case for the book, essentially, that there's these things that are happening that you, that sort of run counter to what your better judgment. But they, like people you know, saying yeah. bad stuff about you, if it was in your tribe and you overheard it in the tent at night at three in the morning, you should check. But if you're a 14 year old with a phone and you're worried somebody might be saying something bad about you on the internet, right. you shouldn't check. You should not. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, and there's such an abundance. How do you turn it off? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's uh, like, I, obviously I've, I have uh, in recent years just decided that I feel like Facebook is basically pretty pretty evil, like pretty bad in the sense of it, it is something that we should almost have to have a license to use. Like <laughs> it's, it's more dangerous than a car. You can give it, you know, in the States here, you can give a, what a 16 year old or what I got my, my permit or whatever. I was 16. I could drive until it got dark, but Facebook, there's no way I know how to handle it. I do not know how I, and, and everybody thinks all of a sudden you have a platform where the world is watching. And I'm going to tell you about this thing that I, this person that I voted for or this thing that I believe in, or whatever, and you can't, there's no way you know how to handle that. that that's the other thing, evolutionarily, and I, I was wondering about this, it does seem that the connection that was supposed to bring us all together, something like social media, the idea is I can talk to anybody in the world, how amazing is that? But, oh no, I can talk to anybody in the world, I don't have any clue what that's like. It used to be, probably what we were talking about back in the day, hundreds of years, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, it was just a few, few people, maybe a hundred, hundred fifty, or something like that. You get if you're lucky, you know, and you work together because you had to. But now, how do I, I mean? You guys are. In, I'm talking to you in Canada, which is amazing. But there's people in Canada that you know. I, I want to hear the bad stuff they were going to say about us too. Well, I think you've got uh, a perfect example. Not to wade into politics too far, but um, just take a look at um, you know what uh, what's happened in the U.S. and how your country in less than four years has really become 
divided now. I mean, you're living it. We're just seeing it from the outside. But, you know, I think it's pretty, pretty alarming that uh, you've almost got a 50-50 split between people thinking one way and people thinking another way. Yeah. yeah. Just the just the fact that you're socially aware that that's happening causes some of it to increase. Um, if we were to really go forward on this and look at technology and stuff, not just in the short term, but with brain science and all the stuff, if we could ma- manually manage our dopamine levels, what will happen? What what would that mean if we were able to actually monkey with that? What yeah. implications would that have? <laughs> that's a good. That's a good. Because it seems like all. I mean, that's what marketing is. I, I yeah. we're artists. I make music, and I know that my job is to play with people's neurotransmitters. I understand that fully. That is what I am doing. Now I'm going to use the tools I have to change them in their heads, and it does stuff to them. Marketing, same thing. You know, it, they're they're it caught. It's they're aimed at your neurotransmitters. So is the Facebook like button. So we're all aim. Everybody on every area is aimed at other people's neurotransmitters and and altering them. That's what everybody's trying to do, including me. And so technology must be trying to do the same thing, and it'll be very valuable when it's able to. What's going to happen then? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I mean, there's uh, we have a we have a section of the book where we talk about biohacking as well. So uh, you know, this whole idea that you can uh, you know ingest something or inject something that that fundamentally changes the way your brain works and your body works, and you know maybe you do it because you want to live longer, you want to keep your testosterone levels higher longer in your life for growth hormone, whatever it is. Um, but the whole idea of biohacking is and artificial intelligence is these are game changers for sure. Now, uh, you know, one thing you'd have to be careful of is 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 that. You know what we're talking about with hardwiring is these are these are evolutionary drives that are advantageous to us. Uh, the there's a reason why we have you know developed these tools in our toolbox the way that we have. Um, you know, just like the fight or flight response. You know, this is part of of what makes us human and uh, and an animal essentially uh, to you know to survive. And so, if we change those, then you know we take away some of that that drive too. So we're, we're very careful in the book to talk mm-hmm. about that. Uh, you know, things like c- competition, for example, being competitive and having a competitive mindset uh, in the sense that it's positive and you want to improve your life and get better and, and do a good job and, you know, be a good parent and all of these things. That's, that's really important that, that motivating drive is important. So we have to be careful in trying to diminish that in any way in some futuristic world where we could do that. Um, that because that takes away. So what we do is we in the book too we we try to make the distinction between pure resilience, like you know can I can I just push back on all this stuff, or is there a better way to try to manage it? Um, again, respecting the fact that we have this hardwiring, can we now manage it? And you know, you, you a great example through music and art. So our final chapter, we actually do look at at you know philosophy and art and science and say you know. You know, here's some good stuff that actually feeds the hardwiring, feeds that neurotransmitter, but it does it in a more positive way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, listening to music, you're going to feed all that same reward circuitry in the brain, but in a more positive way, a more positive experience. It's not a negative one. And that's that's the case we, we make as well. We have, we have a few little hacks in there to, to, to talk about that. Um, you know, we, we draw the analogy after the uh, plague in Europe, uh, it was followed by the Renaissance. And, um, you know, great works of art, great works of music, great works of philosophy, 
followed, you know, the plague. Now, I'm not comparing the plague to COVID, although, you know, this is one of the few pandemics that's really taken over the world in a long, long time. And um, so who knows what's going to come out of this, but uh, I'm sure we're going to go through a period of uh, great creativity because there's a lot of stress right now. A lot of people are unemployed. A lot of people have lost um, close ones. I'm a healthcare worker. A lot of us are stressed, you know, just the dangers of going to work, what we see in the hospitals. And uh, the impact of all of this is, is there's a lot of pent up stress as, at, a, at a world level. And so what comes out of it is going to be very, very interesting. And that's why it's very timely that the book comes out uh, to sort of force us to think a little differently about why things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. That's no, one of the things I was, right. I was, I was, well, was going to ask, because you guys obviously probably worked on this book and wrote, wrote it before COVID. Your, your book's coming out November 29th. Um, yeah, books are now. Books oh, out. it's out. It's out now. Cool. Yeah. On here, it said the 29th. I'm glad it's out now. Um, so before COVID, we were already getting unhealthy. Do you think that COVID is going to, obviously, if you catch it, you will be more sick. But I'm saying overall, do you think this is potentially helping people be more aware of their health? Because it really does seem like COVID attacks people that are not getting enough sleep and aren't, you know, maybe are overweight uh, have un- other health risks, uh, it attacks them even more harshly. Are y'all thinking that this is uh, going to help people realize their health or maybe even be worse? Well, let me give you an example that's uh, US-centric. But uh, after Katrina came through, uh, we saw the same impacts of Katrina on the same population that's affected by COVID. And did things change significantly in the, in the States? You'll have to ask yourself that. But uh, anytime you've had major disasters, it's always the same people that come out on the short end of the stick. And uh, as a society, we seem to, you know, give a couple of bucks donation to make ourselves feel better. But then we get back to the same policy that put these people in those high risk situations. So I would not hold out great hope that um, things are going to be different. The only place that I've seen things really change as a result of SARS, for example, Taiwan said, there's never going to be another thing coming through Taiwan that's going to catch us so flat put it. And Taiwan was having, I don't know how many, you know, uh, flights daily from Wunan where COVID started. And yet Taiwan, through the use of technology, was able to keep their economy going and minimize the impact. And the way they did it was they merged databases. So flight uh, passenger lists uh, were correlated with um, immigration crossing border, were correlated with health records, were correlated with cell phones. So wow. they were able to contact trace and isolate people that had been in contact with COVID positive cases almost immediately, and then monitor to make sure that people stayed in isolation as well. So if you want to see a country that really managed uh, COVID and was right in the thick of it, Taiwan serves as an, as an example, and they learned their lesson from SARS. The question is, are we going to learn from COVID to create an entirely different world after COVID? And, you know, it's going to require leadership, and I, I'm not holding out great hope that it's, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it seems that, you know, as advanced as individuals can be, um, it seems the societies are still a little developmentally delayed. Like the more people you got to get to coordinate, the they're just less mature. So I think of it as a maturity. We got to up the maturity of the 
society one step at a time somehow. Well, I think it's a lack of accountability. I think we got to up the accountability so that if you're accountable for something, then there's got to be consequences if you're not able to deliver on, you know, what you're uh, supposed to do. But having said that, only a fool would accept accountability without also the responsibility and the authority to do it. And most people aren't able to succeed in what they do because they'll accept the accountability, but they don't control the purse strings and it's not their job to actually do it. So always remember the triangle of accountability, responsibility, and authority. And if you want to solve... Tell me more about that. I'm sorry. I I don't want to zoom over that because actually I have strong opinions about things like authority. So tell me how it balances in in, in a triangle. What, What is the rest of the recipe? Okay, so if I've got the accountability for reducing uh, car crashes within my county, then I have to know that at the end of the year, somebody's going to come to me and say, uh, uh, Dr. Lou, uh, we still had 42 deaths per 100,000 population. Um, It's your responsibility, meaning my job description uh, clearly states that I will reduce the rate of motor vehicle collisions in South Carolina. But I'm also given the authority. And by the authority, I mean I have the funds Mm -hmm. and I have the resources Resources. to be able to the effect of change. So I would do enforcement. I would do engineering changes. And I would do prevention strategies. I would basically mimic what the Swedes have done. And the Swedes have shown that you can almost get a zero fatality rate on roadways because they bring those three elements together. If I only accept the accountability for doing it and I'm not responsible and I don't have the authority, I'm never going to be able to affect the change. Who is it that does, accept, accepts empty accountability? Oh, uh, most people that uh, they like the uh, title of manager or leader or whatever, and they'll accept whatever is offered to them. And then they, they fail. So they go, oh, I'm a failure as a leader. Well, you're a failure as a leader because you accepted the accountability, but you didn't have the other two legs of the stool. The responsibility. And the authority. And, and the authority. Yeah. But it, and I, I'm just hearing it backwards as if people typically, I, I would say, are t- attracted to authority or something as the title. But you're saying they don't have the resources. They just get the title. But they're not held accountable. That's right. That's right. And just remember, you will always get your authority by how much you care. So okay. to get true authority, you have to show how much you care. Uh, Dr. Aidan Halligan from the UK, who's passed away, uh, was a brilliant man. And uh, he, you can Google him on uh, YouTube. He's got lots of lectures out there. But he, he talks about how you get your authority by how much you care for individuals. Right. Not, not the, the, the bad authority is you want, you want power. The good authority, can you fill in the blank for me? You obviously have thought about this a lot and I care yeah. about it. But you good authority. Even, you don't even have to be in an official leadership position to have authority. You can command authority by uh, simply caring for people. So maybe trust, of, trust is an ingredient then. Yeah, That's what's he, necessary. He gives, he gives a good example of the clerk within an accident and emergency department in the UK. Her name was Molly. And uh, you knew you were in trouble if Molly came to you with a cup of tea, because that meant that your day was out of control. And she was giving you the signal that you had to sort of suck it up and get in line because we got work to do. She had said, no authority, but she had the moral authority because everybody knew that she was doing it for the good of everyone. It wasn't a title bestowed upon her, but an intrinsic respect for her, who she was, that yeah. that constituted the authority itself. And that goes back to when Robert was talking about we're social creatures and we belong in social groups. Well, she was 
I would say, one of the elders in the group, where she commanded a sense of presence just because of her actions on a daily basis. As part of the ethereal distributed authority network in the system. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's helping. I, that's great. But I mean, it's like the authorities built in to respect and trust and distributed among different people. Like, yeah, yeah that that's organic. Authority. Yeah, the, the, uh, the, the trust word is really interesting. We, we, we uh, kind of talk about that quite a bit in the book. Um, you know, if you look at, say, that you probably remember that marshmallow experiment where, the, you know, the kids... Right. They got to choose between, you know, kind of one marshmallow now or maybe two marshmallows in 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, so they had to make that choice. But uh, there's been a lot of a lot drawn from that. But what uh, follow on experiments actually showed was that um, the ones that uh, chose the immediate reward tended not to trust the system. They tended not to trust the, the researcher that they were actually going to get the, the promised two, two marshmallows later on. So. We see that in, in they've, now they've taken that kind of same line of research and they've looked at, you know, what Louis was saying earlier about, um, you know, maybe uh, parts of the population from low, lower socioeconomic and uh, maybe they don't necessarily trust their future, um, that it's going to pan out the same way that, that other sectors of the population are. And because they don't trust that, there's, there's more of a, you know, I'm going to grab it now. It's a bird in the hand kind of thing. And, bird in the hand, yeah. You know, than, than having this planning out in the future, and yeah. and that's a big problem, and that that again feeds into this. You know, I need this right now because I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know if tomorrow's going to be better, and that directly fills it uh, ties into happiness too. That that the happiest uh, countries we looked at all the happiest countries. The happiest countries have a trust in the system that it's going to be there for them. That it, it and we all know that what that feels like. That inherently feels good. When you when you trust that you know, hey, tomorrow is going to be okay, and wow. uh, so know, that, a whole, that, it's that a whole concept good. of delayed gratification versus instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that give you instant gratification? Let me let me ream them off: salt, fat, sugar, sex, inactivity, uh, cigarette smoking, opioid, uh, any of the drugs. And coincidentally, those are the very things that drive our healthcare system. They drive diabetes, cardiovascular illness, uh, chronic pulmonary conditions, uh, mental illness, and those account for the bulk of, you know, healthcare needs. And so in the United States, for example, 35% uh, of all dollars spent are totally wasted. And that's to the tune of about $688 billion. This is a study that the Institute of Medicine did. So even if you were to clean up half of that, you could have, in theory, about $350 billion that you can then put into better school systems, better uh, focus on the environment, uh, better daycare for kids, uh, better lives for seniors at the end of their life. And the list just goes on and on and on. So it's not as if we don't have enough money. It's we're not spending it properly. Yeah. That's crazy. It was really interesting to invert that marshmallow experiment because now it's just a bunch of you know, naive rube children who believe that second marshmallow is ever going to come. How dumb are they? Right. You better get that marshmallow, right? <laughs> when it's out there. That's right. that's, well, that's right. You're not trusting your future, yeah, right? You trust so this fool with the right. lab coat on. Yeah. I mean, that, that's even more apparent now, even, and once again, we won't get into politics, but it, that is one that no one in America, I think, really trusts our system at all. And that system ended up creating uh, Trump as our president. 
And now we don't even know who the president is still, even though everybody, we might, we might have two separate realities here. We've been talking about it where we have two presidents somehow. It's, who knows what the future holds? And it goes back to we have so much choice that we don't know what to do with it. And so it ends up being that, well, uh, this team sounds the loudest, so I'll just go with them or something like that. And then it, and, and the underlying health consequences of those decisions are just devastating. I mean, just uh, you just like Trump is, you've always been like, like you were saying, like uh, a lot of the health problems in the areas of those are bad sleep. That that sounds like a lot like the South where I grew up and obesity, diabetes, all of that stuff. Those people feel like everybody knows the bad things about them. They can see it on in their skin. They can see it on on their bodies. They know their uh, socioeconomic status, all this stuff. Trump was a way just to be a megaphone for like, well, we can't win. We can't look smart or better or anything, but at least we can maybe defeat you. Or, you know what I mean? Like this, like we have a, a big strong, there, yeah. a big strong guy that'll come and do something, and that and yeah. and that feels like evolutionary as well. The big guy in the camp that could beat the other team. You know what I mean? Like he, you have your big tough guy, and he was the leader, and you know, so the, that's that's what it looks like. There's a great book uh, called "Don't Think of an Elephant" uh, that talks about U.S. politics because as soon as you say "Don't think of an elephant," what do you think of? Yeah, an elephant. Right? <laughs> and so it talks about exactly how friendly fire and law and order, and there's certain terms that they use, like clean coal. You just make up words to try and sanitize the message that you're trying to get across. And you know, when you were talking about the mushroom experiment, uh, the mushroom, marshmallow. Yeah, marshmallow experiment, you know, forget it. I mean, why wait for a marshmallow when I can call skip the dishes and get whatever the hell I want right, right away? And that's the, that's the life we're in nowadays, right? You can right. instantly get whatever the hell you want Amazon, look at Amazon, how Amazon has really captured the market. I mean, it started with Walmart and then it uh, jumped to Amazon and who knows what's next, but you can get anything online. Anything. You're right. I don't know if you got, if we just didn't get to it or, or what, or if there's, cause there's a little bit of taboo around this too, but does that mean that, that does this all thinking make you guys feel that we've been irresponsible with antidepressants? I, I Aren't they kind of in, in this zone? Yeah. You know, I think the trouble is um, we've, well, not we, the pharmaceutical industry has done some marvelous things. Okay. I'm not knocking mm-hmm. them. I mean, it, we've got some marvelous medications doing great things, but you know, I watch CNN and what every commercial on CNN is a different pill. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so what's ended up happening is that uh, Americans, especially uh, want to have a pill for everything. You know, every little ache and pain, they want a pill for that. And uh, the reality is, you know, life hurts at times and you don't need a pill for every little ache and pain that's out there. And a lot of those ache and pains are totally related to lifestyle, which is totally related to the social determinants of health. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, let me tell you something that's just as powerful as an antidepressant volunteering. You can become 45% happier volunteering. There's not too many pills that'll make you 45% happier. You know, walking in a forest. Both alter your brain. Both rewire your brain, right? Well, volunteering is uh, one of the most powerful things that humans can do. And the impact is almost immediate as well. So, yes, the pharmaceutical industry has done great wonders for a lot of things. But Mm -hmm. I think we've become a little too dependent on it as well. And then there's bad pharmaceutical. Uh, oxycodone and the whole opioid crisis was created by that industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it goes back to, in y'all's book, y'all talk about the relentless pursuit of happiness and just that that's the pinnacle of what we need every second of every day now, it seems like. Like, we just need to be happy. Oh, wait, I'm not happy right now. What can I find that makes me happy? And and you're right. Like, the simplest stuff, like volunteering, which means you're you're not thinking about you. You're thinking yeah. about somebody else, actually gives a 45% increase. You're right. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the book is called Hardwired, How Our Instincts to Be Healthy Are Making Us Sick. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This is great. The book is out now. Uh, where can they find it? Where do you want to send the listeners? Yeah, they can get any your favorite bookseller. Basically, it's, it's sold at all the major booksellers uh, online uh, around the world. So uh, whatever your country you're listening from, uh, but uh, all the major booksellers will have it. So uh, it should be there. We, awesome. we got a lot of audiobook people. Y'all have an audiobook? Uh, we're working on audio. We have an ebook right now and the mm-hmm. physical book. Uh, you can pre-order that and that'll be delivered to, uh, to your door. But yeah, the audio book's uh, coming up hopefully. Excellent. Great. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. This was just great. We loved it. Great. Yes. Thanks for having us on. All right. Well, that's our last full interview, regular episode of the year, I guess, Toby. Thank you yeah, for setting is. that one up. That was fun. Um, it really does make me think about like when I, when I when talking to them, I just in the back of my mind was thinking about how still to this day, everybody tells you how bad like low carb uh, or a <laughs> keto diet is. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not even saying it's the healthiest thing in the world, but the idea of not even being able to think outside of the box of what you've been told when, right. of course you can see how eating more fat and using that as energy and that burning your calories would work as well. It's, I, I mean, I'm, I believe in carbs. I exercise <laughs> higher on carbs like when i go for a run if i've had some carbs i i run better i just do so i understand carbs but i'm saying the idea that, that you know low fat diet you remember that? i mean that it's it all it's all fads and so uh, maybe even keto or you know uh atkins diet is a fad as well but there's something there that is is more true and just the idea of not opening our minds trying to do stuff uh, just the way the experts say only is really yeah. i think is is kind of it is kind of dangerous i think it's, it leads people it is. down a, a scary road where they don't own their own health well it's that you don't own anything about your habits if they're all handed to you like if you're if you're handed habits as they are behaviorally programmed from the environment around you that comes from a generation and a half behind of experts somewhere yeah, and they don't ever get checked again through that, through your local culture. Maybe your parents they they can't know everything, and you get programmed with whatever it is about social media or fat or whatever it is. You have to you got to go in there and dig around and open your mind to stuff that you thought was a no brainer, like right things that you think, oh well, we don't question that. Yeah, that right. You got you have to go. I mean, you don't always do that all the time, but you have to be willing to go into almost any individual thing and go and and right. be able to look at it and put it back or whatever. But I think uh, these guys are pointing out in a, a a pretty big way that we're used to a bunch of stuff now that yes. isn't good for us, that feels right. normal and right, that isn't even right. questioned. So, But the, the greater pattern there especially. So enjoyed that one. I mean, does anybody think that mentally, physically, and emotionally, everybody's doing really good these days? <laughs> like well, when, when's the last time a lot of people in your life were mentally healthy or yeah. or physically healthy or emotionally healthy like uh, most of them that doesn't seem that doesn't seem the case anymore right but toby the economy i mean if the economy picks back up they'll all be good 
you know what I'm saying? Like that. Right. That's the weird. Like right. So right. Some, something is. You know. Yeah. It's it, it, the the general trend to me is one of I would I call it domestication. I think that yeah. we're all moving closer to being domesticated as a species, kind of from the wild to yep. this safe zoo like. I believe is I, I yep. call it, I use it zoo as. I think humanity's future might be zoo or free. I don't know where the right. dividing line will be, but we're getting closer and closer to the zoo part of life where things are done for you and you just go here and that's just easier and that's better. Yeah. Because it's way safer. Yeah. Than a wild animal loose that like we have been for the last 10,000 years or whatever. So we're kind of entering a phase of that, but you know the zoo animals aren't so happy all the time. Oh no, they don't do seem know? that happy. But it's a it's a fair trade. I mean, how do you not right. make that trade? So we're, right. we're I, that's how I assess where we're at, you know, evolutionarily as a species. But I think these guys are getting right at it. Well, the but other I, thing about them, they're both Canadians, and those Canadians, I mean, probably the best bands we've ever toured with were from Canada, right? Like, I mean, or at least most good. fun. Like, it, 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 not saying that American bands weren't fun, but you could always count on a Canadian band just to party hard and just have a good time. They're just they're just good people. Nice fresh perspective from those. I probably would Canadians. move to Canada. I guess it's cold. I guess it gets cold, you. but but I live. In, yeah, they don't want me. You're right. It, they don't you want would, you. They got some cool towns too. Mm-hmm. Montreal. My, uh, Montreal at Toronto. Mm-hmm. Wow, <laughs> what a place. And hockey, right? That's what they all care about. Hey. Anyway, I, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. All right. Hockey, well, hey. uh, Merry Christmas to, to all, and uh, we will. I hope you all get lots of Christmas presents from Santa Claus. Does Santa Claus wear pajamas? That's what he's wearing, right? He always is in pajamas. He's in pajamas. His job requires him to wear pajamas. Right? He sleeps hey. naked. Yeah, it has to. A, a large, older white man that breaks into your house and going to give you something good. Yeah, teach your kids that. <laughs> hey, trust trust him. He breaks into your house and he's going to give you something good, kids. Trust it. Believe in him. Satan's calls is what I was taught. Sometimes I'm scared there's nothing for me. Stop your eyes from getting older. Wishing you could live those memories over. So hold the things so close that you love the most. Let your old eyes see that it's okay to miss the light.